Welcome to the Surrey Today podcast. Today's August 31st, 2020. This is your host, Kamran. And in this episode, we're going to be chatting with our guest today, Upker Tatley. And he's been working on an app, or I should say, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's an app that is meant to support um, individuals who are at risk for overdosing on on drugs, essentially. It's supposed to be, it's called the Overdose Intervention App. And in this discussion, um, we're going to talk about, you know, what does the opioid epidemic look like in the lower mainland BC? Um, We'll also discuss how certain groups of people might be disproportionately impacted by the epidemic. We'll also talk about specifically how the South Asian community is disproportionately impacted, what the issue looks like for families uh, in that community. And then we'll kind of wrap up and talk about what are some practical things that can be done to address the issue. And also we'll discuss how the overdose intervention app um, is working to solve the problem. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and hand off to Upker, who will go ahead and give a quick intro about himself. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me, Kamran. I appreciate it. Um, I, yeah, I think you did a really good job <laughs> in the introduction. I, um, you know, I just want to clarify that the app uh, is really, yeah, it's for users as well. Uh, but it was intentionally set up um, and and purposefully created for the wider community. That That's often been the uh, element that's been lacking in the response to the overdose crisis that we've been facing for many years. But um, but we can get into that. Yeah, so uh, Upkar Tatley, uh, work in innovation technology. I'm the managing director at Oxus Machine Works, where we do a lot of work around healthcare innovations targeted towards addressing the gaps that seem to exist when it comes to specific communities that are perhaps not receiving the services and uh, resources that other communities receive due to um, any kind of barrier, socioeconomic, uh, it could be, it could be, it could languages, it could be cultural, it could be any number of factors. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my mainstay. I'm also the executive director of a nonprofit um, that works in the Lower Mainland, and we look at issues uh, everything ranging from uh, youth sport to uh, food security, uh, hygiene practices among vulnerable folks, uh, multiple projects, but uh, definitely community focus. Awesome! Thank you for that intro. I was um, so I, I discovered uh, your app through Instagram, and and one of the things that caught my eyes. And it, I think it's still there, but in, in your bio, there was um, a link to, a, to a, um, uh, an article that talks about how the South Asian men in particular, for some reason, t- have seen the, I guess, most, some of the most severe increases in overdoses. And I don't want to yeah. necessarily zoom in specifically on that community um, immediately, but that mm-hmm. really kind of to me, demonstrated how some groups are affected by this problem more than others. So I'd wanna, I wanna learn more about, you know, what's your take on the epidemic at large uh, in the lower mainland BC? What does it look like? How has it changed in the, say, the last five years to 10 years? And why do you think the issue is evolving um, in the direction that it is evolving now? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's an important part of it is being able to just kind of pull that, that lends back and having a broader picture of what's been going on for, you know, the better part of a decade, if not longer. Um, 
you know, these, the challenges around opioids and overdose, specifically fentanyl, um, it tended to peak around 2017, 2018. And that's, you know, it, you could point at numbers, but anecdotally, um, people were starting to talk about overdoses and spikes in overdoses prior to that. So even myself, uh, having worked in community and continuing in that fashion, um, I recall 2015, 2016 was the time when young families and, and women specifically with young children would come and approach myself or any of the other volunteers and just say, um, please keep an eye on this child today. He's, he's here to participate, but it's, it's going, it's tough at our home right now because his father passed and you know, it sounds like I'm talking about one incident, but there was a period of time when, and I can tell you this honestly, there was about one a week where I'd have that exact same conversation. It was the same narrative, uh, almost the same demographic every single time. And so, you know, taking those anecdotal pieces that I'm sure many, many people were experiencing, including myself personally, I was attending a lot of funerals for, for uh, men who fit my demographic. Um, they were BIPOC, they were between the ages of 25 and, and 55, um, and they were middle class, you know, upper class, they were educated, had careers, had families, and they were just, they were dying. And um, so it was alarming. So all of that anecdotal stuff then slowly started to get around to uh, unpacking and looking at um, uh, health authorities were starting to do medical chart reviews and, and uh, examine what exactly is happening, who's being affected, and putting all that together. And I was um, fortunate, I guess unfortunately, invited to start examining those charts as well and uh, to, to look at what some, what some of those, who those people were and what they, uh, what they represented. And sure enough, we found that not just um, uh, BIPOC as a wider community, but out of that, it was South Asians, particularly males, were overrepresented when it came to um, drug overdoses in, in the region. Thank you. That makes sense. I have a couple of clarification questions, mm -hmm. especially uh, for, for any listeners that might not be as knowledgeable about, about the topic. Can you give us a kind of a definition for, you know, what are opioids? Kind of a in layman's terms, and then after you answer that, if you could clarify on on fentanyl and why you think fentanyl in particular has grown in, in popularity, or in, in use, yeah. I should say. Yeah, uh, you know, there's, um, so opioids, we have opioid receptors present in our central nervous system, in our brain. Um, gastrointestinal as well and uh the opioids are chemicals that bind to those receptors um and so one of the common most common uses you'll find you'll hear this from people who have suffered uh, traumatic injuries surgeries uh, opioids are used for pain relief um and it, it, you know and, the, and the, it could go through you know pharmacological versions of it um, and fentanyl, uh, you're asking about what fentanyl is. So that's how fentanyl was created and how the, how it was distributed. It was, it was among hospitals as well. Um, what we're dealing with now is with regards to fentanyl is that people have 
you know, this is partly a byproduct of um, the pandemic that we're facing right now as well, with borders tightened and controlled as to who gets in, who gets out, what gets in, what gets out. Um, the supply of drugs we have on the street is static, meaning that that's that's what's there. It's it's not changing, and so what people are being forced to do. Um, they're creating their own synthetic analogs of fentanyl. Um, last count I heard, and this may have changed, was that there are 14 analogs of fentanyl on the street, and it is extremely toxic. The supply that's on the streets right now is very, very toxic. And that's really what's killing folks, is that um, perhaps the um, drug of choice prior you know, the, although we were experiencing, obviously, like I said, in 2017 and prior, a few years back, we were, we had overdose crisis then too, but it had almost plateaued. We were still losing quite a few folks, um, but nothing like what we've seen recently. And so we have a horrible supply on the streets. It's unregulated. Um, people are just throwing, you know, everything in the kitchen sink at it and just shoveling it out onto the streets. And unfortunately, our, our loved ones and our fellow community members and our friends, are they're paying the consequence for it. So when you say like an, a fentanyl analog, is that basically people trying to kind of make their own versions of fentanyl that's, with, that's, uh, yeah. with okay. whatever they have available to them, essentially? That's exactly what it is. So, yeah, it's, a, you know, what was formerly a, a pain medication um, and, you know, is it was, it was used with other medic in combination with other medications. Um, but now it's 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 kind of you know it moved over into the recreational side of things, cut with heroin, cocaine, um, and you know people people have different ways of using it. Um, it's no longer how it was, would have been distributed in hospitals or, or or given in hospitals through injections and sprays. And I think they even had a patch of it before, but now it's uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's people just trying to put put it together at home. It's unfortunately, and I hate talking about this, but um, you know, it feels like I'm almost promoting it, but there are recipes for the stuff online in the dark web. And that's what people are using, right? They're, they're just going out there and, and figuring out how to do it. It's, it's not even, it's not tough chemistry. It's just people are able to download the recipe and cut the stuff in their kitchen. Yeah, that, I'm not necessarily surprised, especially on the dark web. And that's like the dark web, mm. meaning like uh, what's been popularized by Bitcoin, basically like the hidden internet that you need to figure out how to get access to somehow through like a VPN, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that said, I think probably that it's probably a lot easier to get at now too. It's, you know, maybe it's not solely uh, in these sort of hidden corners of the internet or elsewhere. It's It's now... You know, I think that's a safe assumption given the number of people we're seeing die now. Um, it, it's probably more readily available and people are just kind of, it might even be word of mouth, people instructing each other how to create this stuff. Makes sense. And yeah. kind of going back to how certain demographics seem to be more impacted than mm -hmm. others, are there any specific, I guess, leading indicators that can tell you um, or that you've discovered around what can help you identify, let's say, an at-risk um, group or an at-risk individual? Is there a particular type of profile or is it really like there you can't uh, necessarily just have a general set of rules that can kind of help you predict like who's, who's, who's at risk? 
Flat out, no. 100% no. Um, there's a time, and I, I'm sure in some circles they still would do that. Um, you know, a certain demographic, socioeconomic class or a certain uh, community uh, that's susceptible. But now it's anybody and everybody. It's me. It's, it's, it's you know, it's people who look and, and walk and talk like me. It's, it's everybody. Um, you know, it, it, it's no longer a problem. If we're talking about here, British Columbia, it's no, it's no longer a problem, de you know, uh, restricted to the downtown east side or, or Wally. This is ubiquitous. It's spread out all over the place. So over the last few months, for example, the majority of folks who died, in fact, I'd say close to probably 86% of the people who died, died in, um, in a private residence. So they had shelter, they had, they had a home, they had a career, they had loved ones, they were in a supportive environment. These are people who were dying alone. Um, some were, but uh, they, they were, um, it, it definitely shifted the narrative. And, and I think, honestly, I think that's what, you know, the peak of the fentanyl crisis a few years back, that's what it should have taught us then, that we're no longer looking at a community or a demographic, and including the results that we found uh, in 2019 in doing those chart reviews uh, that Fraser Health was undertaking. Um, you know, that was the first thing. And I was working with a wonderful epidemiologist there, her name, uh, Brooke Kinnenberg. Um, and what she found was that, you know, it was kind of a startling thing that she pointed out was that this is not atypical. It's not what people are seeing uh, or what they have been accustomed to seeing previously. These, these, uh, the age ranges, the, the, where these people were coming from, um, it was all over the map. Um, I think the chart review at the time included about just over a hundred people. And there was a huge, you could plot um, certain data based on um, a, or sorry, uh, gender and age, ethnicity, but then the circumstances and variables around those things were, they were all over the place. So no, definitely not. You should, you can't. And uh, I think we probably shouldn't know, shouldn't any uh, focus on just one demographic or try to seek one demographic. And really the app um, is intentional in that too, in that it really forces us to understand that this is not a us or them or, or sorry it's not a, a othering problem i think that's what's always been done in the past is you know we create solutions or technology or resources for um those oh those poor folks and i'm using air quotes here um and and what we were effectively doing is we were we were othering the problem we were kind of pinning it on a neighborhood and a demographic um and the end result is partly what we see now we're hitting historic highs because we've had this kind of we've shunned the problem for so long and so uh, you know part of the intention of the app is to make it broadly available make it more intended towards wider community and enlist the entire community to respond to this crisis so that you know no longer can we just say well I don't have to worry about an overdose. That doesn't concern me or my loved ones. Now the message is, yes, it does. It concerns every single member of the community uh, in your home, around your home, in your community. So it's incumbent on all of us to be informed on what we need to do. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is there isn't a particular, let's say, persona that can necessarily be, you know, where you could say this kind of persona or this kind of person, you know, is like yeah. is more likely to be, uh, you know, impacted by this opioid epidemic. Yeah. It's really like anybody like you or me, mm -hmm. you know, your own family, your own siblings, um, friends 
could be affected like this, affected by Absolutely. that. But by Absolutely. the same. I mean, there's um, it, it could be anybody. This the supply that's on the streets is so it's so highly toxic. Um, look, I you know to be forthright, I I you know I run in with circles of friends who are weekend warriors once in a while. And, and prior to the pandemic, they would have gone off together to enjoy themselves in Vegas or elsewhere. Um, and sometimes when people get together, there is, um, there's recreational drugs. And, you know, those are the ones that we started to lose because they're not frequent users. And those folks would, um, you know, hit up a supply that just happened to be uh, you know, they're very toxic and they just didn't react well to it. And so those people were dying and they certainly did not fit the demographic that we were accustomed to or that we were stereotyping into. Um, but at the same time, that's not to say that people who are in vulnerable conditions or have variables in their life that affect them, um, that force them onto the street or elsewhere, that they're not affected by it. They're definitely affected by it. It's just those demographics have changed as well and they've changed significantly. I um, unfortunately, you know, I grew very close to an individual just about, you know, not long ago and he was on the street and he, you know, I, while you and I are talking now, I can, I can actually see, I can see him in my, uh, you know, in my mind. And, um, this individual was, he was on the street. He's a South Asian male, probably around, uh, late fifties, uh, early sixties and, uh, had a lot of mitigating circumstances that pushed him onto the streets. And, um, you know, it was, I, the second, or when I returned on one of the days to bring him some clothes, um, one of the guys who was there mentioned that, uh, well, you don't need to do that anymore. He died of an overdose yesterday. This is just about a week ago, two weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's, it's affecting everyone. And, and I really, really do hope that people, what, what people take away from these conversations, these dialogues, or these uh, international overdose awareness days and all of that is that this is a crisis and um, we, we need all hands on deck to get a handle on it. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. And, mm -hmm. you know, kind of to take that a step further, you know, while you can't typecast somebody into saying, you know, this type of person is, is more likely to be affected by the opioid crisis than another person could you speak to you know why do you think that for example the south asian community is more impacted because i was i was reading i can't remember who the publisher is but the article is suggesting that you know the south it's so specifically in the lower mainland bc the uh rate of overdose for i think either fentanyl or opioids has disproportionately increased i think over the last five years um, for South Asians. And of, yeah. of those impacted South Asians, 97% of them were male. And within that, if you kind of slice that, that figure even more, it's, I read that it tends to affect people that were mostly in the transport sector, trades. So I'd like to know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how does that, yeah. how does that, how does that reconcile with what you've been seeing in, in your own work? Yeah, you know, it, it, it plays well into it. Um, you know, when we started this conversation today, I mentioned to you the people, uh, some of the an anecdotal stuff that I was starting to feedback I was getting from community members that had lost a loved one. Um, bar none, every single person who came up to me, a young, 
woman who said, you know, take care and keep an eye on my son today. He's, he's lost his father. The father was invariably a long haul truck driver. And it was, it was happening over and over again. Um, you know, those, the data does bear out that they, there were people involved in the construction trades, transportation trades. There's also uh, individuals who were, who were white collar jobs, who, who were doing uh, uh, other occupations that were more static as well. Um, mental health is a challenge. It's, it's a huge challenge in the South Asian community, particularly because um, it's something that's newly being addressed. It wasn't something that was, um, you know, people were, willing to unpack or, or dive into. Um, luckily, there are organizations that are doing such critical work in our community around mental health, um, and, and they happen to be South Asian. Uh, there's actually an organization called uh, South Asian Mental Health. And so they do great, great work to address those things. Um, and so what that does also lead us into is a, is a conversation around stigma. Uh, stigma is huge in the South Asian community. So what people often do, even if they do have challenges around uh, substance abuse or use, um, they will talk about it in the context of something else. Um, for example, any of the funerals I attended, I, I can tell you not a single person uh, was, was I told that they died from substance use. Every single person just randomly died. Um, they were a picture of, you know, it was, the narrative was always the same picture of health. Most often they were vegetarian. Uh, they worked out, had no history in their family of any kind of thing, uh, diseases or anything that would cause early premature death. Um, and uh, they abstained from drugs and alcohol. And that was every single funeral. And so um, it's, it was, it's time now and it, it was time then that we start to open ourselves and admit to the challenges that are in our community. So if it's a mental health challenge, we need to have, we need to encourage and create the parameters so that people can have these conversations so that we can start to chip away at the stigma that seems to erode our chances of ever getting a handle on this crisis. Um, the app is actually conversational as well. I mean, it's, it, it's intentionally set up so that it induces people to have conversations within their home. Um, you know, it's, it's broadly available free on, on both Google Play and apps, app, Apple Store. And so the intention there is that, you know, people will download this thing into their, onto their phones and go home. So regardless of if you speak English or not, you have a conversation starter. You can take it into your home and say, hey, look, you know, I was encouraged by these outreach people at, uh, at uh, SAMA, and that's that mental health organization, or, or at the Salmon Project, or any of these other organizations, um, to put this onto my phone. So can you show me how, number one, how to put it onto my phone? And once it's on there, okay, now, what, what is this? What is this when it's asking me, here is a sign of an overdose. Can you walk me through this? So what we're effectively doing is we're, we're um, kind of going in the back door and, and planting these conversations in the community, in the home, so that people start to say, you know, this isn't this is a conversation we should be having in the home. This is not a problem that's associated with a, a demographic elsewhere. This we need to talk about this in every single home in our community. So, kind of that segues to my next point uh, is essentially, mm -hmm. what do you think can be done to address the issue? And so far, what I'm hearing is creating an open dialogue, you know, in the house, in the communities, between homes, um, really just 
promoting transparency and removing this stigma um, from mental associated with mental health and substance abuse. Am I yeah. am I capturing? Is that is that? No, you're 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 bang on. I, I the only thing I would flip around on that is, um, I think the priority first needs to be on um, uh, agencies, stakeholders, governments, um, and other organizations as well who are responsible for the well-being and health care of every single individual in our country. Um, the, the onus is on them first to ensure that those barriers that that exist that are ubiquitous that are, are preventing people from accessing the protocols and, and the messaging that they need to prevent an overdose that those get dismantled that that has to happen right away so that's that's the first step and i think um you know i i have to wear that and the, and that's really the walk that i walk is making sure that those things um are done um, making sure that that um, on a daily basis that we're looking at those things and, 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 and those are there are no barriers that prevent people from simply living a healthy and safe life. Um, so that that's number one. And then secondly, yeah, I, I think everything you just said there, that's perfect. That's we need to we need to mobilize and activate those organizations who are helping people um, have these conversations, who are talking about uh, stigma, who are talking about mental health, who are bettering people's lives, who, um, who can talk about substance use, what it looks like through a harm reduction lens. Um, yeah, I, th I, th I think it's part, you know, it's, it, it, it's a nuanced response we have to have. Um, and that's why I always refer to this app as a digital platform. Um, I think it's a expression of many of the tools that we're using to respond to this crisis. I mean, we haven't just, um, I didn't just sit there and code this thing and then drop it onto social media and say, hey, good luck with that. Hope everyone stops dying. Um, the idea was that we're going to do this and we're going to have conversations with the community. We're going to create capacity in, in peers, those who have use drugs in the past or continue to use drugs and let them walk the walk and have these conversations. We're going to, um, you know, make sure that people who are talking about mental health, they know about the app and they're able to go out into the community and talk about things. So it, it's a multi-pronged approach and it, it's a, it's now uh, what the app also does is it creates a community response. So previously what you had was you had, you know, a health authority or a, uh, the uh, government uh, uh, ministry associated with health and they would download um, resources and solutions directed at a community of users but what we're saying now is and perhaps this is maybe maybe it's a, a non-western way of approaching this crisis is we're involving the entire community we're, we're encouraging conversation and response on behalf of the entire community um we you know if we're affected by it we want to be part of the solution we want to be part of the conversation so what the app does is it, yeah it pushes everyone into the conversation into the fray and uh with the with the goal that you know we stop we stop um, the dam break that's already happened that's awesome so that that then kind of takes me to my my kind of the final point or area I wanted to speak to before we bring this to a close. Mm -hmm. So specifically, um, can you share some specific types of use cases or scenarios that are unlocked with the overdose intervention app? So you know, for example, mm -hmm. is one use case, and, and, and I'm making this up, and, and it might be or may not be true, but is one use case, you know, let's say that I'm you know struggling with substance abuse, I could download the app. 
I can create an account that might be anonymous, that might not be anonymous. I can uh, make public posts, you know, sharing some information that I want to share, or I can do like yeah. do direct messages with people who who might be able to, to like give me direct kind of feedback or mm -hmm. guidance. Yeah. So yeah, you know, one of the and this is we fortunately for us we have access to community a lot of community uh, through some of the grassroots programs we run and so we were able to get feedback from all of them as to what they wanted to see in this platform what they wanted to see in this kind of technology one of the things that came up is they wanted zero tracking they did not want to be tracked you know this is a very very tough conversation to have and we just finished you know you you and i just talked about stigma um the stigma is so omnipotent that people really do not want to something like tracking really turns people off so we made sure that there's absolutely zero tracking uh the download is very straightforward uh like i mentioned it's it's google play and app store you just drop it right onto your phone if people have difficulty accessing those um app stores they can just go right to our website and download it for free there as well it'll take you to a link um but really you know the the scenario that i see with this app is that people Number one, they're able to recognize an overdose. So what it does is in a language that's uh, meaningful or that, that you do interpret and understand really well, you're able to recognize an overdose because people just do not understand what the symptoms or, or what someone who's experiencing an overdose, what that situation looks like. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I just thought he, had, he was tired from work and he was, he'd fallen into a deep sleep given the number of hours he was, he was working. So it, it helps you understand uh, what an overdose looks like. It has that innate built-in 911 calling feature, so it's very, very convenient. So if any time you do recognize it as an overdose, you're able to hit that button. It takes you right over to 911. But um, myself, as well as a former first responder, I know it does take you know even those precious minutes that it takes for the first responder teams to arrive at your doorstep. Those those are really important, and so it, it helps you with a step-by-step -step, um, guidance on emergency protocols you can take prior to help arriving, including guidance on uh, administering, administering naloxone. And that could definitely help save a life as well. Um, and all of this is, you know, like I said, multiple languages, no tracking. Um, uh, we'll be adding audio and video prompts shortly. And really that entire platform, along with outreach, talking to community um, and, and reduce will help us reduce stigma. It, it'll help us um, encourage everyone to have this conversation. Uh, and, and so hopefully we can get a handle on it. Um, you know, we, we've gone long enough trying uh, a methodology that's obviously hasn't worked out. It's time to try something new. It's time to engage different communities and hear what they have to say and, and perhaps learn lessons from, uh, from them as well. Um, you know, one of the keys we did was we, we consulted our indigenous uh, communities in the lower mainland, um, but not just a kind of a, a piecemeal kind of uh, consultation, but really look for them on to for guidance and information as to how should this approach be taken and the, and the messaging we got is that's bang on we need to we need to make this about community we cannot just defer this to to uh, others or organizations or governments this has to be a community response and then that has uh, huge indigenous components to it it has huge uh non-western eastern lenses on it as well so um 
that's that's the hope and i i think we're on to something here number one we've already started to make huge resonance in the community uh people who did not know that this was a challenge and crisis in the community are now talking about it so those are very encouraging things it's awesome um before we uh bring this to a close i had kind of a, a few closing questions the first is i want to give give you an opportunity to just state any last points um, you wanted the audience to know about, and then after you do that, um, share how people can one find you, and then two find the app. And I and I can drop any details into the description of this if, if this uh, episode if if I need to. Yeah, I, you know I appreciate that, and, and that's really important too. I think um, media reporters, journalists uh, play a huge role in making sure that community is informed. So so I want to thank you too. Um, yeah, uh, you can, um, you know, I, I could just say you just enter overdose intervention into any of the searches on uh, on Google Play or App Store, but uh, I'm sure they get their own promotional machines up. So you can just go to our website. You can go to um, www.stopoverdoseapp.com. So that's stopoverdoseapp.com. And uh, I'd actually encourage people to go there first uh, because it does have some good information up. Um, there's some good posts there as well. And it also provides you links to our social media. So if you scroll down to the bottom somewhere there, um, it'll, it'll hit, hit, connect you with our social media pages. And, and those are good too, because there's some uh, relevant updated information there. There's um, also um, updated information as far as toxic supplies on the streets. Every once in a while, a notice will go out from uh, the Center for Disease Control. So we're make, we make sure that people are informed that Hey, look, there, there's a scary supply on the streets right now. Be extra cautious. Um, and in addition to that, um, the website also can help you download the app itself. Um, so my encouragement would be go to the website, download the app, start having these conversations in your home. And if you're having some challenges having those conversations or, or with anything else, um, you know, you, you're, you can contact me directly. Um, my number is on the website itself. It's also, I'll just uh, 778-223-6987. I don't mind sharing that. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and our outreach teams, and like I mentioned, there's other organizations as well that are doing such important, important work. So uh, talk to your, your government officials, talk to our, the leaders in the community, and really tell them how important that this, this challenge and this crisis is, and it will continue to be, unless we start to look at new innovative approaches. Um, to, to get a handle on it. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely link to the website. Um, I'll link it into the uh, description of this uh, episode. And yeah, I'm checking it out now. Yeah, I see the links to the to the Google Play uh, link for the app, as well as the App Store. You can toggle language options between English and Punjabi, which I think you kind of spoke to earlier. So yeah, mm -hmm. this is awesome. I'll, I'll include this in the in the uh, podcast episode notes yeah i appreciate that yeah yeah i really do it's it's important to get the community informed definitely um do you have anything else before we end this end this episode no oh, i enjoyed this conversation it was good it was uh yeah hopefully i wasn't too monochromatic but yeah no it was good this was awesome thank you for your time thank you all right you have a good night yeah you too bye